What is up everyone, this is the Twice Over Film Club. Today we're replaying our episode on the Thin Red Line. In fact, it's one of the first episodes that we ever released. This film is a classic, we all know how much Fahad loves Terrence Malick, and we had a great discussion on the portrayal of war in film, so I thought it was just worth another listen. Alright, let's get to it. You see many dead people? Plenty. I know different than dead dogs. Let's get used to the idea. The meat kid. Welcome to the Twice Over. The clip you just heard was from The Thin Red Line, a 1998 film directed by Terrence Malick. That will be the topic of discussion today. All right, I am here now with Fahad. Welcome. Thank you, Faraz. Um, glad to be here. Today we're discussing The Thin Red Line, a movie that was chosen by you as one of your favorites. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Can you give us a little background on why you chose this movie in particular? So why I chose this movie in particular? Um, well, it's directed by one of my favorite directors, Terrence Malick. Um, I loved him for Badlands. The reason why I love this movie, it's a war movie. I'm a sucker for war movies. And this just offered a completely new take to watching a war movie. It's poetic. It's lyrical. It's, it meanders a lot. And yeah, I just love it. I mean, it's interesting you say that. I'll be honest that I am semi-biased towards war movies as in I do not like them. I do not enjoy them. I see them too often to be like propaganda pieces. However, I will admit that this movie is not like your typical war movie it is different it is unique and it is way more than a war movie itself we are gonna get going with our scores and give you guys an idea of what we thought about the movie and i'll get started with that fahad actually we'll go category by category and i'll give my score for the category and then you'll give yours i'm gonna start with the writing i gave this score for this movie an 85 out of 100 which gives it, you know, well above average. It's pretty good. A very well-written movie. It has a great screenplay. There's a lot of internal dialogue. There's a lot of external dialogue that's very well done. Uh, my only gripes with the writing, I would say, was that there's too many quiet moments. It, this is where it falls into, like, another bucket. It falls into acting. Those quiet moments weren't acted as well as they could have been. So it kind of overall hindered the writing score for me. However... What was really well done was the internal thoughts and the internal dialogue and the narration. That stuff was incredible, very well written, very thought provoking. Same thing when there was external dialogue happening between characters. I thought that it was too much depth, too much meat in these dialogues that these two guys are having while they're on a boat approaching an island. And it's like, are they really thinking about these? So you didn't think it was realistic dialogue for the setting? Definitely not. I mean, you're not talking about some abstract thoughts about life and death and immortality in the sense that they're talking about it. It sounds like you're reading a book, more or less. And I get it that this is an adaptation of a novel. And I'm sure that obviously influences very much the writing. But the external dialogue between characters at times was like, all right, uh, that doesn't really sound like something you would say when you're about to approach a battle. You know what? I completely see that. Yeah. Overall, it was very great. However, there was like these little moments here and there that made me feel like, all right, this writing is a little too much for this. 
scenario for this particular scene and I kind of had to push it back. Right. So you kind of see that with in the overall movie, it doesn't stick with realism. It's, it's got this kind of ethereal quality and it takes liberties with the dialogue, with how people would normally talk in those situations. Um, getting back to the writing, I give it a score of 80 and this is actually lower to your lower than your score. And the reason why I gave it a low score was because I thought it didn't have enough narrative thrust, but I thought that the dialogue and the monologue, especially with the voiceovers were amazing. And that was the highlight of the movie. I thought all the scenes were great. They they were full of meaning, elusive, um, especially the scene of the, uh, the bird hatching and it was struggling to get out of its eggshell. The, um, I didn't think there was much fluff. Um, nothing felt unnecessary. Nothing felt pretentious, even though scenes would linger on the actors' faces. Um, in other movies, I found that to be the problem, but wasn't here. To me, the story wasn't a traditional traditional story in that it didn't follow this this uh, neat little arc. It was really about the internal development of the characters and how the battle was impacting them. And yeah, it's not for everyone. All right, so uh, so do you want to discuss the story and give your score for that then right now? And I'll go after you. Sure. Uh, the story, I gave it a 90. And the reason I gave it a 90 was I thought the direction was excellent. Every scene had this poetic purpose, but it was at the expense of a straightforward storyline. So rather than the story, we're getting, we're getting in a view of the internal lives of these men and... For the, I see that you have a category subcategory called clarity and understanding, and here I made a note that the movie tends to jump around in the stream of consciousness of one person to another, and the clarity can somewhat be compromised there. But we do get the extensive use of voiceovers, and that helps narrate a lot of it. Yeah, so I gave it a much lower score than you. I give it a seventy-five. Uh, same thing, similar to writing, how there's some great parts to this category in general. Like you said, the direction was incredible. It was very well done. And considering what the point of the movie was, like the point came across pretty straightforward. They did a good job about that. However, the story in itself, in terms of a narrative, a plot that you're following, I don't think there was anything too special about it. If anything, it was kind of a drag at points. Next category I'll talk about is the acting. Again, I gave it a 75 for HUD. I thought I thought it was commend like good acting. It was uh, acceptable. There's nothing really bad about the acting. However, there was too many moments where I felt the actors were just had this like this mean mug on their face with very little expression. Um, and there were trying- some posturing. Yeah, I mean they're trying to show like all oh, these they're they're having like these internal like dilemmas but you weren't seeing it in their faces i guess and it just it became a little repetitive over and over again seeing them basically act the same thing over and over again i do get what you're saying the acting wasn't the characters weren't that dynamic right so you don't see exactly. multiple expressions from one character and yeah well i think the directions at fault there um but as far as what I saw from the act coming from the actors, I loved it. I so I gave it a score of ninety, I believe. Yep, ninety. I thought the the best performer was Sean Penn, followed by Jim Cazaville, 
hope I'm saying his name right, and Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte was amazing in this movie. Um, he was a terrifying commander, a colonel, excuse me. All right, so that's acting. Now we'll go on to photography and cinematography. I gave this a 90. I mean, it was a very like clearly just an incredible movie in terms of scenery, how scenic it was. I believe it was shot on location. It just had some great looking shots at certain points, like especially during the battle. I think my favorite shots were where there's a camera coming out of the, the tall grass as they're going up to the hill. And it's kind of like panning left and right as it moves forward, like almost like you're an animal that's observing uh, from the grass as these soldiers are making their move. I mean, I want to say it looked like a, like a first person point of view, but it didn't seem to indicate that it was showing us any individual character's point of view more like we were a third party that was just behind them like this third party omniscient view yeah exactly through the battle exactly like following them i thought like man those those cuts were so nice and so well done and then yeah there was just uh like you know the scenery of you're talking about islands with a lot of greenery the sun rising the sun setting like it just looks beautiful and some of these shots during the battle as well, they just, they capture you pretty well. And it's a visually very appealing movie. And even though in a war movie, you can see yourself being squeamish to some of the violence. Um, there, was, there wasn't like a moment where I felt like I couldn't look away just because of how good the movie looked. Gotcha. Yeah. So what was your score again? My score was a 90. Okay. So I gave it a slightly higher score of 95. Um, I want to get back to what you said about the battle scenes with the hill and the camera just floating. Preceding those floating shots, you see these light rays cutting through the clouds and hitting these uh, grassy fields, these grassy hills. And then you see the men in anticipation of this battle. So you have this heavenly light casting down on the grass, and then you see them looking up in just like nervous anticipation of the battle ahead and i thought that that contrast worked really well and then the camera work right it just it was floating just above the grass i thought that was that was just beautiful all right so next one i think it's the last category we got to talk about themes and motifs i gave this a 90 obviously this movie relied heavily on the themes and motifs the themes of what soldiers have to go through their internal struggle that they have as soldiers following orders that they probably do not agree with but i I think the ptsd that they have to deal with all of this stuff that you have that comes the baggage that comes with war i mean it's presented in a very very good manner and it's subtle at some points but through the narration it's it's like very much in your face, like, hey, you got to get this point when we're talking about what we're talking about and what, and when you see what we're going through in these battles. I enjoyed it a lot in that regard, so I gave it a 90. How about you? So I gave it a 95, and let me go into that a little bit. So this movie, although it's a war movie, it doesn't contain any of the typical war motifs like heroism or courage, and I found that great because it's not, you know, going in the cliches it refused to be sentimental even when it was thought-provoking and when there were scenes of tragedy it refused to be sentimental you don't get a traditional 
story structure, right? We already covered that. Um, but then you don't get attached to these characters too much either. You're kind of floating through everyone's stream of consciousness. And I think it's the reason why it's done is so you can explore everyone's individual philosophies and how they're taking the war. And so the film, what it does is it pre presents all these different ideas. And as a viewer, you get to kind of live in that person's shoes for just a moment. And then you're popped into someone else's shoes. I found that great. I don't know if that's relevant to this category, but I just put it as that. I think it's perfectly relevant. I mean, that's what, that's what I was trying to say when I was like, that's the point that the director wants you to like get. It wants you to, he wants you to notice that. And that falls in, in this category for sure. With that said, guys, we're going to enter the spoiler alert zone. So if you have not watched this movie and do plan on watching it and do not want to get it spoiled, I would advise that you do stop listening at this moment. All right, Fahad, let's talk about the movie with spoilers and get our thoughts out about it. Sure. Was there any specific spot you want to start at? Faraz, let's talk about the end. It was a scene with Private Wit facing the Japanese soldiers in this meadow. In this scene, Private Wit had accepted his fate. Um, he knew he was going to die. It was just him deciding how he wanted to face death. At the beginning... This this ending completely mirrored the beginning of the movie where Private Wit is talking about how his mother had died and he talks about how his mother kind of met it with a certain kind of grace, a certain embrace. Yeah, I think I wrote this down where he says immortality hidden in the calm and the calm comes right before death. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just wonderful how it perfectly mirrored the beginning. What did that scene do for you? I mean, on that note, I actually wrote down while watching the movie that um, that happened on almost every person's death, except for that one private that um, Sean Penn's character goes up to give him some morphine. He was the only one that was like hollering and like in pain and like, you know, just out of it in shock. And he was the one who's, I guess, dying while panicking. And everyone else that we saw kind of comes to like this realization that it's their time. Do you remember um, Private who jumps on the grenade and he blows off his butt? You remember that? Yes. He didn't jump on the grenade. He uh, accidentally pulled a pin while the grenade was still on his belt. So that was Woody Harrelson's character, Sergeant Keck. Well, and then he dives on the ground, right? To protect the other. Exactly. Team. Yeah. Same thing. So he, uh, yeah, so he dives, dives away from everyone and he himself takes the brunt of the, the damage. Mm -hmm. And he is initially in shock, right? He's screaming. He can't believe what, hap what happened. He's Right, so I brought that up just because it isn't everyone who meets their death with that sort well, of Well, no, I would say that like after a little bit, he kind of calms down, starts breathing slower, and like, you know, he kind of chilled out after a bit. He had this initial shock, but then it, the calm came over him. Like my exact note that I wrote down, Keck's death, the calm after the shock right before his death. Because he had that calm too. I felt like it was in almost every soldier's death, unless it was like a sudden death where they were just like shot and they were gone. We didn't actually stick with uh, Sergeant Wit either, or Private Wit, I'm sorry. We didn't stick with Private Wit. We see a shot and 
that was we it. Actually, we actually see him like kind of raise his weapon, right? And then he gets shot. Right. So that was him just meeting his fate, right? Did, I guess didn't want to go as a prisoner. And he was ready for death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Also, at that point, you can say that he not only accepted that his death was like inevitable, it was he basically forced the Japanese troops to chase him away from where his entire you know, company was, where everyone else was. Right. I believe he was running around in circles, hollering and yelling, just so the other guys would get the chance to run. All right. So uh, anything else specific? Yeah. I don't know if you want to go into this. Um, so Terrence Malick is, I think he's pretty Christian, um, and his philosophies come from that. So I believe a lot of um, writing I've seen on this film talked about how private wit was almost like a Christ-like figure because of that final sacrifice. I mean, I can definitely see how that plays into religion and Christianity specifically. Um, and if if that's what uh, Terrence Malick was going for, he got it in there without being so blunt and in your face. It's done in a subtle way. Let's see, there's some other stuff I wanted to talk about. So your strongest rating for this movie was came from what subcategory? Was it motifs and themes? Well, it was a tie between photography, cinematography, and themes and motifs. Oh, I, I thought those were the two strongest points of the movie. And clearly you agree as well because you gave both. Those two were also your top two. Yeah, they were. They were. Yeah, you gave them both 95s. I gave them both 90. I mean, like, it's clearly like what the movie, like, it's what separates this movie from other movies. It's what makes this movie not like another war movie. Um because a typical war movie, it will be it will be relying on the story and the plot. It will be relying on the acting and then probably photography, cinematography. Did you think those this was a a strong anti-war movie? Did you think that the theme of anti-war was strong in this movie? Yes, <laughs> I you actually did. was thinking about that as I was watching it. I was like, how can someone who's like I don't know, 16, 17, 18, thinking about joining the army, joining the military, how can they watch this movie and have any desire to do so? Like, how could they possibly want to join the army in a system that treats children, you know, young people, 18, 19, 20-year-olds who don't know much better, honestly. They come from usually poorer backgrounds and treat them like little pawns to like further an agenda that doesn't that doesn't uh benefit anyone i think there's a great line let me mention this uh sean penn's character so sergeant welsh played by sean penn he says we are fighting for property right he says property they're not fighting for anything righteous they're not fighting for freedom we offer an interpretation of why he said not why but just like the moment so that moment from him comes right after the the death of his dear friend uh private wit uh private wit had said to him that he had seen a spark in him and that spark he interpreted to be a certain light a certain goodness and almost um something that prevents a complete cynicism a cynical view of the world and so after the death of private wit at that point he's saying that but it, it, in its more, most literal sense, too, like in context, out of context, that's literally what they were fighting for, right? The Japanese had an airfield on this island, and the Americans wanted that 
airfield taken away from them because it's a good airfield to have in terms of strategy in the Pacific Theater during the war. Lieutenant Colonel Tall, he asks Sergeant Tall, after the hill has been taken, he asks him, how many people are you willing to sacrifice? Like, how many? And, like, you know, Stars doesn't have an answer for that. What is he supposed to say? Like, yeah, I'm okay with uh, 20 of my people dying. I'm okay with 10. There's no number you give to that. But that dehumanization of that question that Sergeant or Lieutenant Colonel Tall is asking is just, like, if you're uh, if you're just a normal human being watching that and thinking about, man, should I join the army? You see something like that, why would you ever want to join? Right. Who's w- willing to sacrifice your life? For property. <laughs> but that that is what the army requires, right? Almost at every level, you get further and further from the people who are actually dying. And so your decisions are removed from reality. Also, like... Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tall, again, like you said, he was one of your favorite characters. Like, yeah, he was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as his acting goes, I mean, man, he was something. He uh, also had some pretty sympathetic moments when he was talking about how um, the Army Brass had passed him over on promotions and was yeah. talking about it was through this inner monologue. And he asks the question, um, what would I have given for love? Like, w- if I instead of going to the army. What if I had chosen this life where, you know, my life was focused on love. What would, what would have I given for it? Right. I thought that was a great moment for this character because it prevents you from just creating a two dimensional image of him. Oh yeah. For as far as any character, no one was like two dimensional, just like black and white that you saw them and like, Oh, this is this character. This is that prototype, that stereotype. Yeah. It was not no 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 character was like that in this movie. Everyone had mm-hmm. an element to them that really did humanize them. And then in the structure of the war in the of the battle, they were being used as weapons, more or less, not as human beings. Mm-hmm. So I took a different reading from you in terms of that answering that question, is this movie an anti war movie? I think it's what you bring into this. I think the director, Terrence Malick, he made a movie such that if you're an anti-war person, you come into this movie, you see all the reasons for it. And if you're neutral, you stay neutral. If you're pro-war, you stay pro-war. Really? Can you tell me how you stay pro-war after something like this? Because give me an example. it's being forced down your throat. You're seeing what you want to see. A pro-war person wouldn't look to that character for, you know, their rationality. Um there are moments of great camaraderie between the uh, people fighting, and that's evidence with it was Captain James Starros, where he says that the people fighting underneath him they were like his sons. Um, so he was very connected to him, and it was a really touching moment. And you could see when uh, Starros was dismissed that the uh, soldiers didn't take it well. Yeah. Okay. So I get that. If you're a pro-war or pro-military person. You would see that and be like, look at the family mm-hmm. that you create, the bonds that you can create. Bonds that you create, right. I think you mentioned this train character. Towards the end of the movie, when he's back on the ship leaving battle, he's talking about how he has his life in order. And I think that speaks to the transformative power of war, that it just f- forces you to get your priorities right. 
And I think that is the main crux of this movie. It's not that it's an anti-war movie or pro-war movie or anything like that. It is just about what war does to people. I don't think there's a strong message in there. Yeah, so okay, that was a good question about the uh, whether this is a pro or anti-war movie. I can see your point that depending on where you're coming from, that's what you'll get out of it. Obviously, for myself, I saw it as a very much an anti-war movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have some of these characters that you can clearly see PTSD like entering into their psyche, where when they're climbing the hill, right, and they get towards like the first bunker with the machine gun, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know what I don't remember which uh, actor this was or like, if this character he wasn't that prominent, but they focus in on him and his heavy breathing. They zoom in onto his face. Yeah, his nose is flaring up and he's like, you know, mustering the courage and he just jumps over the rock and like barges towards the the machine gun. He succeeds, but you can tell at that moment that this guy has just lost it, you know, like his he has nothing to lose, nothing to live for. He's just doing this. Right. And you can just tell like this is going to lead to like him having, you know, crazy traumatic experiences in his future, that this is something that's going to stick with him for the rest of his life. Like it already has. You almost saw like a split in his psyche at that moment. Exactly. Like you saw it just enter his brain and just burn into it. And it's just there now. And this is who he is now. I saw that scene in a different way. I Well, in the more traditional way, I just saw him taking a moment to gather the courage to make that decision or to run up that hill because he knew he had to. Um, he was doing it to provide cover for the people that were trapped in that position, right? Um, I wanted to get into something else I found pretty compelling. It was this dichotomy we sometimes have of men being evil, nature being good. And we kind of see that early in this movie. Um, we had all these visions of paradise in the beginning with the uh, the scenes of the Melanesian people, um, they're happy, they're swimming, they're fishing. It's this great paradise. Um, they're free. They're free, right? It's great. Yeah. We get into scenes where man's tearing things up with uh, war, right? And we have to ask this question. Um, are man and nature just incompatible? Is nature just pure and beautiful and yeah, this actually gets right to one of my favorite quotes in the movie. I wrote it down. It says, um, does our ruin benefit the earth? Does it help the grass to grow or the sun to shine? This like obviously flies right into the question you just asked. Like, what are we humans doing on earth? You know, all we are doing is like ruining. And does that benefit the earth in any way? Like, does it do anything to help nature? Does it help grass to grow? Does it help the sun to shine? Are we beneficial in any way? Like, why are we here? It's essentially the question it's asking, right? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. I don't know, man. This is, it's one of those thought-provoking questions that you just don't know. Uh-huh. Like, this is what I was talking about when it comes to the themes and motifs. Yeah. The film's going to largely leave that question unanswered. It does offer some guidance in, on a way to think of it. There was a moment where um, Lieutenant Colonel Tall, he's lecturing Staros about um, the willingness to send people in battle. And right after that, he says to Staros, look at that jungle, look at those vines, the way they twine around, swallowing everything. Nature's cruel, Staros. And so he offers a view that 
you know, nature's not an exception to just being cruel. It's not just man that's cruel. Nature is cruel as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. That that is a good point. However, there's cruelty and then there's excess cruelty. Now, the, those vines aren't going to like disturb the ecosystem like in the oceans or I mean, if we can get super abstract about this, you know what I mean, right? It's just like we human beings don't live confined to even our own nature. We transcend past that. We like if we get to from point A to point B, we start thinking about point C and how we're going to get there. Uh, so we as humans, like the ruin that we're talking about in this movie, the war, it's it's excessive. It's not just you know, like, okay, Pearl Harbor was attacked. It's not that we're just protecting, you know, the United States uh, homeland. We are going out and now obliterating everything that's in the way. And it's it's just, there's a difference between the nature and the human in this, in this sense, in my opinion, where the nature, yes, it can be cruel mm-hmm. and it can be ruthless, but it's not excessive. Gotcha. So, yeah, good point. All right. Um, there's another w- a question. If we're going to talk about some of these more abstract like thoughts that come from this movie, I mean, which is, it really is something. You can have like a whole podcast just discussing these questions. Um, the question is, quote, do you imagine your sufferings will be less because you loved goodness? End quote. Man, that's, that's such a good line. Just so deep in the God. It is. Because... It's basically telling us that whether you're innocent or not, whether you're a good person or not, mm-hmm. what does it really mean? What is like it, suf- what does it really suffering matter? Suffering is, yeah, suffering is suffering. And especially when you look at it in the context of war, like whether no matter what you were back home, like how good of a person mm-hmm. you were, or whether you were like, you know, just a jackass or something, it doesn't matter. Like you're going through this together with everyone else. And if you suffer, you're going to suffer just as much as the next person. Man, like, do, do you imagine your sufferings will be less because you love goodness? What do you think about it? What do I think about it? I don't know. It really humbles you when you when that question's posed. Um, it's obviously of, uh, well, who was it that was standing over that Japanese soldier? It was Private Wit that was standing over him. This monologue was said by a Jap- dead Japanese soldier, and so it's almost like he's questioning his position, uh, private wits, what private wit must be private wits, almost looking down on this dead soldier. Right. And might be feeling the superiority. Look, Hey, I'm alive. You're dead. Kind of thing. Not just that. I think he's seeing that, uh, this Japanese soldier that is dead, he is suffering, but then the Japanese soldier is asking him back. Like, do you think your suffering will be less? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's almost like he's looking down at him like, Oh man, this guy suffered. He is dead. He's like, obviously in the ground, half buried. But then you have the Japanese soldier narrating, asking him who's standing above him, like, does he imagine that his suffering will be less? Mm-hmm. It's a powerful moment, yeah. man. And it's clearly something that the Japanese soldier must have thought, that if you love, you you experience goodness and everything else that comes along with it. That suffering will not be part of the equation. What did you think about uh, the portrayal of the Japanese soldiers generally? Generally, this movie doesn't give them too much um, spotlight. Um, where do we where do we see them in the moment of clarity outside of battle? We don't, right? 
Well, I mean, I must say in looking at it relatively to other uh, war movies, I think they did a pretty, pretty good job. I mean, I don't need to like see the Japanese perspective. Like, it's already a two-hour, fifty-minute movie. How much longer are you gonna make it? Because <laughs> obviously, it's a very it's, it gets nuanced when you start talking about war on whose sides on whose side, all this stuff, who's actually right and wrong. Mm-hmm. But when it just came to showing that these uh, soldiers were also human beings, that they just weren't. I mean, you have enemy, and then you have like less than human enemy. And they didn't go with the latter. They stuck him with, all right, these guys are just on the other side of the battlefield. It doesn't mean that they're less human, though. Yeah. And I thought they did a pretty good job in that regard. Like, they showed when they got captured, they were scared. They showed the fear. Like, some of them were praying. Some of them were losing their mind. Mm -hmm. Some of them were um, in, like, this Buddhist whatever stance, right? Yeah. Like, they were praying or meditating. Right, right. Yeah. Good points. Um, I just thought that they could have given more spotlight in the film, like more scenes where they're not fighting. What do you think? I mean, yeah, I guess. Because uh, we actually don't see any of the soldiers. I guess this continuity wouldn't make sense in that if they were to show the soldiers, because they only show the Japanese soldiers after they're uh, overtaken and caught. Even when they're climbing up the hill, you just get like a glimpse here and there of a soldier. Mm-hmm. A Japanese soldier is like coming down the hill and then he gets shot or you just see them shooting from up top. But you don't like actually see a Japanese. You don't even see the Japanese soldier until the Americans themselves are like face to face with them. Yeah. Because even when they show the shots from the bunker with the machine gun, Mm -hmm. you're seeing it from like, yeah, from behind. So you're seeing their back as they're looking out over the hill. Yeah. So I just think that was just like a direction choice by the directors to say, you know, we're only going to stick with showing the Japanese soldiers. Like, we're going to stick with the perspective of the American soldiers for the audience. And that's the same perspective that they're going to see. Yeah. What else do you think about that issue? I mean, I think it's fine. I think they did a pretty good job with it. Again, like I said, it's a war movie. So you're going to have the other side. You're going to have the enemy, I guess. But they didn't make them. They're not like stereotyped. They're not they're not like crazy, you know? Right. Um where the Japanese soldiers and the American soldiers are both in the tall grass. They can't see each other. And then the Japanese soldiers are like, Roosevelt eats shit. And then the American soldiers are like, Tojo eats shit. That was funny. The only <laughs> moment in the movie, and it was amazing. Um, actually, the American says it first, I'm pretty sure. He says, okay, gotcha. uh, Tojo eats shit. And then the Jap- Japanese replies back, no, Roosevelt eats shit. <laughs> Uh, I don't really know if I have much else to go over. I think we covered most of the stuff. I mean, in terms of like the themes and motifs, even just this discussion we had with the spoilers, right? It's, mm-hmm. I would say we're talking like 90% about the themes and motifs of this movie. So like, that's clearly what this movie's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the writing actually, because some of these internal dialogues, these uh, narrations, like there's some, it's just so well done and so well thought out and really, really, really like hard hitting questions that get asked that make you think. Mm-hmm. Who Whose conversations did you feel had the most weight? There were a lot of uh, these binary pairs, right? You had private with wit against um, with Sergeant Welsh. And then you had Lieutenant Colonel Tall with James Darrows. Who, and then you had 
see Riley with Sean Penn's character, which was uh, who was it again? Welsh. Yeah, I would say. I mean, just based off what the movie wants you to have, it would be uh, Welsh and Wit, right? So Sean Penn's character and Jim. Kevy's Kevisel, yeah, sure, Kevisel. Um, but yeah, those two guys, like they are conversation early in the movie, right? When the after he's captured, after going AWOL, they have that conversation yeah. in the boat, and they have a conversation midway in the movie about the spark and everything else, and then they have a yeah, and at the end, it's like I mean, it, their conversations were a guiding like arc to the to the general story. You know, it kind of broke it up and gave insight into what happened and is going to happen and like what it meant to these soldiers on both you know sean penn's character side and on private wit side all right Fahad, i think that's about it right thanks for joining us today thanks for having me thanks for listening to this production of the twice over if you enjoyed this episode consider subscribing and sharing it with a friend want to see what your tally is check out the twiceover.com all the movies we've done are listed there as well as what we're watching for the current week follow us at the twice over on twitter instagram and facebook where you can leave us any suggestions feedback or comments and if you're about it you can also support us on patreon the music you hear on this podcast is from amerigo gazaway you can find his work on bandcamp and spotify